This is the Acting Up Podcast with your host, Allie Goodman. ketamine journey with you. Uh, to this was my second uh, ketamine injection exploration. And funny enough, I, I will be talking a little bit about what the experience itself was like, but more than anything, I think what I'm learning from this process is the most important. So forgive me if I kind of jump around a little bit today. Most of what I want to talk about is actually what I... What, how I'm growing in this process, which I think is actually the point, right? (laughs) I would hope. Oh, goodness. So I've had uh, a few of you reach out, and I really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. Thank you uh, for following me on this journey and giving me the support. And, you know, if this is even something that you're thinking about or interested in, you know, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. So by all means, please feel free to reach out to me and, and ask me anything. So going in to this next day, so the, and I want to explain that uh, the second journey ha- happened right at, so I had a Tuesday appointment, Wednesday I have what they call an integration session, and that is actually when I recorded the last podcast. And then Thursday, I went in for the next treatment. And when I went in, uh, I, I she already told me that they were going to up the dose. And I guess this is very common practice. They sort of give you a lighter dose to see how you tolerate it. You know, they kind of try to calibrate it to you. And then they make their decisions after that, like where, in what level you need to be. And basically every session you go in, they bump it up a little bit because it can, you can kind of get used to it. And so they want to make sure that you are going to get a full journey when you go. So just for numbers sake for everyone, I think I mentioned that I may not have told you this, but maybe I did, that they put me on 30, like, I'm assuming it's milligrams. We're going to just say it is. If I'm wrong, doctors out there, I apologize. 30 milligrams. And then when they gave me the booster, I think it was about eight, maybe 10. So maybe 38, 40 uh, at the most. This time when I went in, it was only one shot and they went straight to 60. So the experience hit harder and faster at the get-go. So what's important, I think, is knowing that my attitude going in, I, I was feeling really good. On Wednesday, I had a, I, I just felt lighter and better and more open. And I didn't know if that was just like, ooh, lucky me, residual of this particular experience, or if that meant things were shifting and changing. And I still don't know. I really don't. So I went in in a good mood. You know, everything was good. I, I was excited. I was looking forward to it. But I definitely went in with a little bit of an agenda. And this was the lesson I learned not to do that. <laughs> so as I mentioned the last time, I was like, all right, we're in this. Let's let's get to the let's get to the trauma. Let's get to the healing of the trauma. Like there's some goal in mind. And so I kind of had that in mind. I'm like, well I had that one memory, which so in order for me to actually heal all these crazy things that have happened in my life, I have to dive in and have a memory and then I 
like, like I had this whole agenda that this is how it works. I go in, I find a memory, I rewrite it, it becomes, I feel better, I come out, I feel like lighter and everything's better and my brain is re, you know, formatting things and yes, I know that this happened to me but uh, this is how I could have responded or this is how I'm learning. I, I literally had it written out like it was a freaking script in my head about, you know, some movie or some television show and I'm learning that this is what I do. And it's not good. <laughs> so and when I say it's not good, that's not fair. I'm not judging myself, but I, I have this tendency in order to feel safe, I have to find the control. And for me, the control was I gave over of myself. And this is this is Allie speaking to Allie. Okay, you gave over of yourself that first session. And therefore, you now know what to expect. So it's just a deeper, more intense version of that. What I didn't realize is that is so not the case. And here is where the lesson gets learned. Every ketamine experience is different. It's never the same. Yes, you understand certain things that you didn't understand before, like what it feels like to go under. The, the fact that you're in a place that you've seen before gives a sense of familiarity, a sense of safety, a sense of comfort, I would say. Knowing, I know this is so dorky, but like knowing how to use the reclining chair, knowing where the bathrooms were, knowing just like when I came out what I was going to see and how it could look. All of those things just sort of added to a, a sense of safety and comfort. So going in, that's the only thing that is technically the same. I mean, and then obviously the music and the eye mask and the laying down, all of that is the same. Like the setup is the same. But the journey, not the same. Not not really at all. So this time I went in deep and intense pretty fast. And for me, the deep and intense actually was this feeling as I was going under, I could feel myself thinking about my kids and the last experience that I had with them which was kissing them goodbye when I left in the morning and I could feel those kisses I could feel the like the way their skin felt I could feel the way the you know the kisses felt it was a pretty visceral moment and it, it occurred to me while I was in there that I was feeling very vulnerable while I was under and, and going down. I always say it's like going down because that's what it feels like to me. It feels like it feels like a, it feels like sinking even when you're kind of lifting up. There's still a sense of, and I think the heaviness probably comes from being under a weighted blanket. I'm sure that's part of it too. Uh, or it just might be my personal experience of it, but that's what it feels like to me. So when I say that, that's what I mean by that. And the overwhelming feeling that I started to have was oh my gosh, like, I could be dying right now. And I wouldn't know. Like, I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be cognizant of it. That I could literally be dying right now. My body could be dying. And that was really intense because I hadn't confronted that thought really in this experience yet. Uh, I had feelings of like, what's reality? But this felt even like a deeper sense of what's reality, really not being able to make sense of 
what reality was. Even though I knew I was in this chair, I knew I was in the room, I was safe. I knew that the therapist was there. And if I were really freaking out that I would have help, I knew all that. That was, I was in the recesses of my mind, I knew that that was true. But I felt like I was flirting with this idea of being sort of both dead and alive at the same time. I was like Schrodinger's cat, just both things at the same time and not really sure which one was true. That was the first overwhelming sense of this. And my thought process went to my kids. And I was like, well, if I am, how do I feel about that? And it was odd because I, I felt oddly okay. And I, and I justified that as like, well, that's the drug they give you makes you feel okay about whatever's going on. So okay. So if I'm dying, cool, like, I'm fine. But I also realized, and this was post the experience as I was sort of working through it in my brain, there was a, there's a movie called Defending Your Life. And that's one of, it's a funny movie, very cute, whatever, 90s. But the point is that there's a moment in there where they're talking about leaving like life behind and that they feel okay you know, in this, in where they are. And then one of them mentions, well, I think they do that on purpose because you wouldn't be able to get the work done that you need to get done if you were, you know, pining for life and your family and being with them. So it's this idea of like, I love my family and I'm so happy that they exist, but I'm okay that I'm not, that I'm not with them right now. Like whatever drug they gave us when we passed through, you know, from life to where we are right now, they do this on purpose so that we feel okay. You know, which is cool. And I kind of had that same sense of whatever this is, I'm I'm okay. Um, I'm sad I won't see my kids again, I guess. But I'm I'm being made to feel like it's it's okay that that's the case. Okay, so that was the first sort of moment of I would say vulnerability that sort of incited a little bit of I guess fear is not it wasn't full fear. It was more like. Uh, I would say curiosity, but with a with a concern, a concerned curiosity. And then many other visions and thoughts and things happened throughout that really didn't matter. And I say they didn't matter in that it's not like they weren't beautiful, and it's not like they weren't provocative, and it's not like they weren't uh, impressive. The most important thing that happened was how I felt after that. I remember there was a, and I'm assuming this like I said, coincides with the music. I felt a lightness and I felt a rising. And all of a sudden I felt this euphoria, this amazing, like happy, pleasurable, incredible, um, just a lot of like light pinks and pretty and, and soft and just <sighs> big deep breaths and just happiness. Like I just felt and happiness is not actually accurate. It really was more just like pleasure. Not to get all graphic, but I was like, well, I can see why some people <laughs> use these things and then have very intense sexual experiences because I could see how that would work. That was like a moment of like, oh, wow, your body just responds in very intensely to certain things. And that's how I was feeling at that moment. And then it changed again and things went to different places and whatever. I had one moment where I thought about somebody in my past uh, and I, uh, she's a, a, she has red hair. I have a lot of redheads in my past. It's very funny. She has red hair and I, and I was thinking about her for a second and then, but I didn't see her. Instead, I saw this structure that turned into a slot machine and then her hair, it like turned into where it had hair and the hair was this flowing red 
but not even her color red, just like a, I don't even know, like a, almost like a neon red um, over this slot machine, because that makes sense, you know, my brain. So that was odd and interesting, and that was really the only familiar uh, event that I had. I had other things. I saw a little girl who was about seven, um, but she wasn't really, a, she wasn't real. She was, she was there, but she was almost put together with pixels, almost like um, 8-bit Nintendo, but with more, uh, like I could get in and see more detail than you can on Nintendo, but that was how she was put together. It was like tiny little pixels, tiny little, if you know what diamond painting is, it's like that, or tiny little Legos, you know, um, the one squares and all turning into a one picture. Or like those, you know, back in the day, they used to have those like little pixels that would turn like a bunch of different little pictures that would turn into one big portrait, kind of that idea. And then there was one moment where I was riding, like uh, riding on a bubble that felt like I was going up what felt like a glass elevator at first that then turned into this bubble. And that's really all the things I really quote unquote remember vividly. Everything else just sort of was there. I think one time I was in space. That was pretty cool. And that was it. And so I came out of it much easier this time in that I, I didn't anticipate the coming out which I had been concerned about the last time I just sort of let it ride I could oh now I'm starting to feel like I'm coming out I had one moment where I was under where I I felt um, my teeth sort of rub my lips and I had this sense of oh I'm I'm here I'm actually here I'm I'm a person and I'm in the world and I'm doing this but it it was fleeting but it was enough to sort of ground me enough to feel like oh I'm I'm here. It's real, you know, which sometimes you kind of forget when you're under there. It's a little, a little scary sometimes to be like, oh, I'm just floating around and not in this room, even though I cognizantly know I am. So when I came out, I overall recognized that I had had this really pleasurable experience, a rather delightful journey that did these really like nice things. And I was pissed. And I was disappointed. And I expressed that to my therapist, who was a little confused, I think. I mean, maybe she wasn't. I, she sounded confused to me because I was still, you know, coming out of a ketamine injection. And she wanted me to expand. And I explained, you know, that I was disappointed that I didn't get to... I didn't get to the good stuff. I didn't get to the dark stuff. I didn't go to the places where it's like, we got to heal this stuff. This is the thing that's been holding me back. This is the thing that's causing all my pain. Why are we not dealing with it? Why are we not diving in and fixing it? Why are we not going to the damaged, the, the part the part of my life that is causing my brain to be damaged? Like, why are we not going there? And uh, I, I told her that and she said, well, let's sit with the disappointment for a while. Let's talk about that. And we did. And it turned out that underneath that disappointment was this feeling of shame. And I want to talk about this because I think it's really important. Now, shame has been a – shame has been my my nemesis. Shame is the thing that I carry with me. Uh, shame lives deep inside me and probably is the thing that drives most of what I do and why it's my motivation for so many things and it served me in that I survived because of it but I don't think it's serving me anymore and it's time to 
to change that, to flip the script, do something different, and not have shame rule my life. Not not to say that it's ever going to go away. Shame is always going to be there, but I don't think it needs to drive anymore. And so how it arrived for me there and what I realized is that I felt this shame, not just because it was just this overwhelming sense of like, this is what drives me anyway, but in this particular moment, this idea of being disappointed and underneath the disappointment was the shame, was that, oh my gosh, if I, do, if I go through this whole thing and the only memory I have and the only thing that I come out with this is that I had this like blip of a memory of my uncle that was like nothing and that's my big like takeaway, then there's no nobody nobody's gonna like there's no checkbox there's no validation that I had these experiences I don't I don't have any way for others to uh, to believe me to understand and it was like oh aha here we go and it I realized that, that I was turning this about other people's response to me versus my own experience and versus my own healing and when that became clearer to me that this, this is why I was disappointed and this was why I was upset and this was what was going on with me and the fact that I was going in to control this whole experience and clearly that's not going to happen. I was really sort of left with, I, I, I actually felt kind of naked and therefore the disappointment, therefore the shame. And I thought people are just going to have to take it on faith that these things happen to me. And one of the things that I, as I talked to my therapist, my my trauma therapist about this later, she said, you know, over-explaining is a trauma response. That's pretty common. And my whole life has been about over-explaining, trying to make sure I'm understood, trying to make sure I'm believed. And at one point that was important. Well, not just one time, numerous times in my life. But that's not where I am right now. And I can say this thing happened and I can put a period on it and it happened. You can believe it or not believe it. You may ask me for more evidence. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I can't worry about how you respond to it anymore. And you is not you, my dear listener, but you, whomever I'm, you know, needing to tell the story to. But when you're a child or when you're talking about a family member and you are telling your story you're afraid you won't be believed you find all the ways that you can explain it and then at the same time I thought while I was figuring all of this out and telling my therapist oh my god maybe it's because I am so afraid that if I don't see it then maybe I made it up maybe all the things that I was afraid of like just being a drama queen and not really having you know, these these experiences, maybe I created them. I did not create them. But this is the fear. The fear is that maybe I embellished it. Maybe it didn't really wasn't really that bad. Maybe I should have just listened to everybody when they're like, aren't you over this yet? Like, why are you not over this yet? Like, what's wrong with you that you can't get through this? You can't get, oh, God, is this going to get stuck with you forever? Well, yeah, clearly, clearly it has. So I, I have this like disappointment, this shame, this anger about having to prove that these things happen and then I realized well who am I proving it to I mean am I am I proving it to you my listeners am I proving it to my family am I proving it to myself yeah probably all of those things and that's when I realized that I, I really needed to change my approach of this and that it became really clear to me that I don't really get to decide how this goes and that sucks. 
the, the type A control girl in me does not like that at all. I want to plan it. I want to know it. I want to like, I, I figured it out. Okay, I had that. I, I, look, man, I gave over myself. I, I gave over my vulnerability the first time. Okay, I did it. I did it. I was courageous. I was brave. I did it the first time. Now I need to know how this is going to go. And I don't get to know. And that fucking sucks. So I actually wanted to read to you a little bit out of my journal. Uh, after the sessions, the night after, the night that we have them, they want us to write. And uh, I, I, I have a hard time sometimes because I, I, first of all, my writing just feels ugh, and yet I know it's important, so I do it. Um, but I actually came up with some things that I thought were really important and I'd like to share them with you. So um, some of this will be a little bit redundant, but I, I, I think you'll be able to go with me. So early on, I had this uh, sense of being sent into death, like Schrodinger's cat, both alive and dead at the same time, living in the in-between. What struck me was, although for the most part, this was a pleasant trip, I felt a sense of disappointment. Things didn't go as I thought they would, like I'm trying to manipulate my brain and control where it will go. And maybe my lesson is to stop assuming, planning, and thinking I know. I don't know. It's not like a movie. And the lessons may not be learned inside the trip, but what I feel after. And in the most Machiavellian way, isn't that the point? If I get better and I heal, is it enough that I have agency to choose the ketamine, pay the bill, show up for the appointment? And then how the healing happens isn't really up to me. It happens as it should. After I wrote that, the next line I said was that my disappointment was like, what did I say exactly? My disappointment is kind of bratty. And I would also say it's also sort of arrogant. There's a real sense of, I think, I don't think I'm alone in this. When you survive something that can take other people out in some capacity, whether it's through suicide or drugs or some other thing, you know, something that I quote unquote would say, like, I'm never going to be a statistic. I won't be a statistic. I'm not going to be the one that has what used to be called multiple personality disorder. It's no longer called that. It's dissociative identity disorder. Yes, I got it. I was convinced that what happened to me, the sexual abuse that happened to me as a child meant that I was going to be broken, but I wanted to decide the broken that I would be. And so I did all this research and I, I mean, I'm talking about like at age nine, I was going into, those of you who remember Walden books, I was going into the bookstore and I was buying up all of their, their uh, true crime, anything that had to do with children who had been sexually abused and what would happen to them. So like everything from Sybil to, you know, I know my first name is Stephen, anybody who's been in sort of a tortured situation and seeing how they came out of it. And usually these, the reason these stories are written is because they're usually these pretty um, like big deal responses, you know, like I said, like a dissociative identity disorder or they cover it up and they don't remember it for a long time or they have to endure it for so long and they're, like their stories are much more compelling than say like my story and so this is how I thought about it and I I remember thinking to myself I am not going to go down that hole I'm not going to become somebody who becomes addicted to drugs and alcohol and whatever all the all the things that you hear about you know that like this bad thing could happen to you I was like no I will not so instead I did something else and I survived by basically allowing the shame to guide me and and I would say that the only way that I could actually survive in the world was by being the best that 
I could be taking responsibility on myself and everything is my fault and people please all the way across the board and learn how to adapt in every situation. Hence why when my uncle made that gross comment, my immediate reaction was capitulate and adapt, not stand up and be the strong the strong person that I probably would be today if I ever experienced that. Uh, but I did this with everybody. I, if I was in a group with, you know, a bunch of guys, like I was like, yeah, I'm one of the guys. I can be like you guys. I can do this too, whatever, blah, 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 you know, misogyny this, you know, yeah, women are stupid. Like I, I was, I was horrible because I didn't have a sense of self because I didn't believe that I deserved to have a sense of self, to be completely honest with you. So all of these responses and all of this experience that I grew up with that served me so that I survived, I didn't realize literally made me a statistic. <laughs> all the things I tried to leave and not be, <laughs> I ended up being, but just not in your true crime Walden books section, but in your psychology 101 <laughs> section. Like control freak over explains everything, you know, is basically run by shame, you know, understands what happened to them, but still like can't seem to get out of the loop of that probably has PTSD, like all the things that you could classically like, like check mark off. That was me. And I find it just, I find it fascinating and amusing uh, that I had that. But the other thing that I had was this, this sense of uh, survival also kind of gave me a superpower and my superpower I thought was I can take on more than other people I can take on more pain I can take on more responsibility I can take on more stuff and it's not because those people aren't good it's just that they didn't have to put up with this for so long for as long as I have I had to put on my whole family on my shoulders I had to make sure everybody was okay in the family and that they weren't going to bear the brunt of this I would bear the brunt of it because I could handle it I remember telling myself that when I was six and I still tell myself that to today. But I can handle it. And that's why I get it. And you know what? I can't. I can't handle it. I, clearly, I can't handle it. I'm, I'm going through ketamine treatments to like heal my brain. Clearly. Clearly what I thought was my superpower was actually just trying to keep me safe. And it was doing its job. But it's now time for that job to be done for that part of myself. But the problem is being cognizant of that and knowing that it's time for that to go away, it doesn't mean that it's going to just go. I, I didn't know how to get from point A to point B. And I was having a conversation with my friend Courtney today. And one of the things that we were talking about was this feeling of when you're depressed, you know what you want to feel, but you can't necessarily get to what you want to do. Like you feel tired or you feel down or whatever. But just knowing that doesn't great. I, I know that. Now what do I do about it? And everybody's journey to get there is different. Some people, they just they cycle out of it. I used to be somebody who would just cycle out of, out of it. Then I tried medication that didn't really work. Then I cycled out of it. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm better now. And then I was up back on medication. You know, it's like, this is what happens. It's like a back and forth and a back and forth. And if you have real clinical depression, and you get stuck and mired in it, which is basically where I've been for a very long time, um, and probably more so than I knew, but really a long time. You, you just you kind of get to a point where you're like, well, I guess this is life now. I guess this is life now. This is what this is how it is for me. I'm, I basically you know a forty year old in what feels like an eighty year old's body because I can't do anything. I all I want to do is sleep. I'm irritable. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I 
I don't care about anything. I don't care. Well, on Wednesday, I experienced caring again, which was really amazing. And on Friday, after Thursday's session, um, I actually had an integration with the one therapist, and then I got to meet, I uh, did a, a session with my other therapist who hadn't seen me since I had started the journey. No, of course, she knew about it, but like we had not spoken. So it was actually really good because I had to talk about all of this and I had to really come to some exploration about this. But even as I was talking about it, I was feeling better. I was feeling more confident in my, in myself in a way that I don't remember feeling for a very long time. It's kind of bizarre to me. It feels like the quiet has come in. I slept better than I've ever, probably than I've ever slept in my entire life last night. And I didn't sleep through the night. I never sleep through the night. I haven't slept through the night since I was a child. I got more recuperative sleep than I've gotten in years. And that was unbelievable to me. Uh, there are days when I could take four naps and I still wouldn't feel rested. And last night I did. Uh, and I was still up at five in the morning. It didn't matter. I felt good. It was crazy. And it didn't feel good like I have this energy and I have to use it. It's like, okay, I have this. I, I felt regulated, which is just an odd thing to say. That's like what I felt. And it's pretty much stuck with me most of the day. I had some moments of feeling a little tired. I mean, that's kind of normal, I think. But like my fear was, oh, no, oh, no, the depression's coming back and it's dragging me down. And it was like, no, that's not what's happening here. You're just tired. And people get tired. There's a very big difference between feeling tired and feeling exhausted. And I've been feeling exhausted for a very long time. I just felt tired today. I know that sounds really dorky, but man, that was like amazing. I felt tired. Just tired. That's all. Just tired. Like people get tired. I didn't have this overwhelming under, underneath everything heaviness. That was cool. That was cool. So this is my first experience of having this much time in between. So I had my Thursday session and I don't have another session till Tuesday. So and 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 Friday I had that integration session, but I don't talk to the therapist until I walk into the door on Tuesday. And I'm really trying to figure out is is this gonna last? Is I mean the last time I only had one day in between and I knew I felt good. So like all right, we're on day two. Okay, uh, this is Saturday. How are we feeling today? And it's like, yeah, okay, I'm okay. So I guess Sunday and Monday, we're going to see how it goes. But as of right now, I'm feeling good. And I'm up through yesterday. I was a little hesitant about, I mean, I knew I was going to go back in, but I was feeling like, God, that was a lot more. My recovery time on Thursday was a lot more than my recovery time had been on Tuesday. I'm sure that's because it was a higher dose. I'm sure that it was just, I had a lot of feelings that I was dealing with and a lot of experience that I was trying to process all of that stuff. Uh, and I also realized that I am somebody who really needs to eat right when I come out and drink some water, which I did not do the last time. And I need to do that this time. So, you know, it, you get to know your body and what you need. <laughs> and I realized that that's something I need. So I talked to my therapist about it. She's like, okay. I said, I just need you to remind me to eat. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. I, I feel the darkness lifting. It's not darkness. It's like a, it's like a very heavy gray, like, like being overcast. Like what I, what I imagine Seattle is like most of the time. <laughs> that's so not fair, but that's what I feel like. 
Uh, it's just overcast. I feel like my life has been living in a world where it's overcast and sometimes it rains and sometimes you can kind of see the sun peek out, but you never get like a bright sunny day. And while I don't necessarily have a bright sunny day right now, the clouds are more those uh, wispy clouds right now. And there is a blue sky and there is sun and it's nice and it's just temperate, you know? I'm kind of cool with temperate. And this morning I, I had this urge to read a book, which I didn't actually end up picking up, but just the fact that I had the urge to do it and I wanted to read, like physically pick up a book and read, felt so good. I love reading. I've loved reading since I, I mean, I was the kid who would take like 12 books with me on a vacation. You know, everybody else is like laying out on the beach and I'm like under a shade shaded umbrella reading a book. Like that was me. And I haven't been able to pick up a book because I can't concentrate. I can't focus. And I'm sad. I miss it. And I had the urge to do it again today, and that felt really good. And I did something for my career today, which I was barely, like, still in this career in my, in my head. I mean, I definitely was. I was going to auditions and doing what I was supposed to do. But, yeah. So um, it felt really good to do something extra and just for me. It was good. It was really good. So that's that's where we're at today. And uh, my next, like I said, my next session is Tuesday. What I will do is definitely record on Wednesday. I cannot promise that I will post it on Wednesday. It may be where I record it and then get through Thursday, record that one, and then edit and post over the weekend for both of them and certain things. I just, I don't want to put the pressure on myself and Wednesday it was hard, but I did it, but it was hard. So if I don't have that stamina and I feel as bad as I did on Friday, it's not going to happen. So, but I will do my best to get both of them up before the third week. So you can hear where we're going. All right, my friends, I hope you're all staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy. This has been a wild ride uh, in our lives the last almost full year coming up coming up on a freaking year y'all and I'm uh I'm, I'm really grateful to all of you so stay healthy stay safe just take it one day at a time one minute at a time sometimes one second at a time and hang in there solidarity my friends mm-hmm.